Connections between rural hospitals and statewide advocacy organizations that can represent them is crucial to hospital success and even, at times, their survival. These partnerships assist hospitals in providing affordable health care to their community, focusing on quality initiatives and even advocating for them with their local legislatures. So, how do rural hospitals increase their connections to provide cost-effective and superior quality care? With involvement in networking events, partnership outreach, and a passion for providing the best and most affordable health care. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 71 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development, even though I don't quite sound like it this week. Yes, you've had a little bit of an interruption, Rachel. Yes, getting over a little bit of uh, illness and finally getting my voice back. Yes, it's good to have your voice back. It's good to have you back in the studio. It's been a little while. Took a little trip, but we're glad to have you back here. So, you know, Rachel, we continue to discuss the importance of having representatives who can be the voice for rural hospitals. And it's amazing uh, what doors are opened as a result of these strategic partnerships. So today... We're going to discuss the benefits of having an organization such as the Michigan Health and Hospital Association as a representative of Hillsdale Hospital and truly of all healthcare in Michigan. That's right. We're talking with not one, but two guests who advocate on this topic daily and are highly knowledgeable in the areas of healthcare finance, quality, government advocacy, donor development, hospital board training, and more. And I'm excited. Our guests today are Lindsay Peters, uh, Senior Director of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, uh, also known as MHA, and uh, Brian Peters, Chief Executive Officer of MHA. So we welcome both of you to Rural Health Rising. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. It's a great honor to be with you today. So to start, Lindsay and Brian, maybe Lindsay will go with you first and then Brian. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at MHA? Absolutely. Uh, first off, uh, we have the same last name, but we are not related. <laughs> so, I was going to make that note, but yes, I thought I'd right. let you. Yeah. Yes. So I'm the Senior Director of Field Engagement at the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. So I am in charge of member relations. I come around to all the mm-hmm. hospitals in the state yes, and listen to you and your needs and take those needs back to the association. Mm-hmm. Uh, so whether that is advocacy, education, quality, you name it. And if I don't have the answer, Answer, I will connect you with someone yes, who does. Will. So, you know, Lindsay, uh, Tim Johnson is, he's, he's been a guest of ours mm-hmm. uh, he and was, a frequent might have listener. Been our first guest I believe on episode he was. two or wow. three. It yes. was either him or Sam Watson, who also mm-hmm. is uh, your colleague with that's MHA, right. were our first like two or three yeah, episodes. That's true. Wow. And so he listens regularly, but you, you got your start in healthcare locally, right? At a rural hospital. I did. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yes. So for 12 years, I served uh, actually in Rachel's role. I was the director of marketing and development. Oh, I did not know that. Yep. And uh, I did that. I actually started as a file clerk in medical records in high school. Oh, yeah. uh, And came back after my undergraduate degree and worked there for uh, 12 years. And I love rural health. That's where I gained a passion for it. So Eaton Rapids Medical Center is a critical access hospital just south of Lansing, uh, 20 beds, 300 employees, and I actually still live in the community and oh, still nice. great friends with Tim. So. Absolutely. Well, it's great to have you on the program. Thank you. And so what about you, Brian? Tell us about yourself, your background, and your work at MHA. Absolutely. And I have to say that uh, when you think about home run hires uh, for the MHA over the years, Lindsay is uh, right near the top of that list. I She's agree. been uh, absolutely phenomenal. She and is. 
and gives us a, a tremendous uh, asset, particularly with our, our membership uh, in the field. And, you know, when uh, we hired Lindsay and we were delighted to do so, uh, another win uh, that came along with that is the fact that Tim Johnson still speaks to me, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, and we, he wasn't uh, happy for a while, I could tell you, but... He well, does talk we, to you. <laughs> uh, we, we, we love Tim, and uh, I think he understands, as we all do, that um, you know Lindsay continues to advocate for not only Eaton Rapids Medical Center, but for Hillsdale Hospital, sure. for all of our members uh, sure. throughout the state. And so there's real benefit there. But in my case, uh, this is uh, the start of year 33 for me at the MHA. Wow. And uh, start of year eight uh, as CEO. And it's been an incredible journey. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, it is uh, remarkable to have the opportunity to work with such an amazing and talented staff, uh, number one, and to work with such an engaged and impressive membership, number two. Those are the things that motivate me and, and that really energize me every day to get up and, and do what we do collectively. And it's a partnership. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the Michigan Health and Hospital Association is built on the premise that we are stronger together. And the fact that uh, yet again this year we represent 100% of the Michigan hospitals and health systems. It's amazing. We can speak with one voice, whether mm -hmm. that's in the mm -hmm. state capitol building, whether that's in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. on the federal side, or whether it's in all of the, uh, the other important work that we do every single day. So it's been a, a real uh, privilege for me to have this opportunity. You know, Brian, I'm going to interview uh, you in just a minute about that relationship because I think that's most critical is how do you balance all that? And we're going to talk about that in a minute because representing folks who may be on different sides at times is is difficult. I got to tell you, you do a remarkable job at that. And we're going to talk about it in a minute. And you did you highlighted something in your presentation just a minute ago about why you do what you do. And we actually asked that question of each of our guests and, and we call it starting with a why. So, you know, here we are, we're in conversation and we want our listeners to know as well as we want to know um, a little bit more about the why for both of you. So in other words, what motivates you? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? Brian, we're going to start with you. Absolutely. And I think that's a question that's critically important for everyone to ask themselves every single day. I, I think mentorship is critically important. And, you know, when I mentor folks, I, I like to tell them that if you aren't passionate about the work you're doing every day, you're in the wrong job. Agree. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the reason I've been at MHA for as long as I have is because I am truly passionate mm -hmm. about the work we're doing. And when you ask um, my why, uh, it starts with people. You know, we work with a lot of uh, impressive technology and a lot of impressive uh, facilities and, and all the rest. But at the end of the day, it's the people mm -hmm. uh, that make you want to do what you do. And it's the people you work with, but it's also the people you're working ultimately for. And those are the mm -hmm. patients and the communities that we serve. And the opportunity to work at a place like the MHA, where we're representing the totality of the field, is that the activities that we undertake on a daily basis ultimately can benefit all 10 million Michiganders, if you really mm -hmm. think about right. it. And I think the pandemic uh, shined a very bright light on that reality because mm -hmm. we were front and center from day yes. one when the pandemic was rearing its ugly head in Michigan and really engaged in so many significant ways that in my view, and I, I'm very confident in saying this, we saved lives. Uh, we put PPE Agreed. in the hands of caregivers right. at a time where that was very difficult to do. We, we 
secured relief yes. funding that yes, kept the did. doors open in mm -hmm. some of our most vulnerable facilities. Correct. The list goes on and on and on. And so that's really my why. Yeah. It's the ability to make a real impact on something that I view as mm -hmm. the most important thing for any one of us, and that's our health. Well, you, you, you have a remarkable why, and, and you, you really always have. Uh, you know, I think it was about a decade ago that I was with Duke uh, Anderson, uh, former CEO of the hospital, and we were at an event uh, in Detroit, and Spence Johnson uh, was uh, the, the previous uh, CEO, uh, president of MHA. And um, so I, Duke and I were talking, and I said, you know, I, no, no offense, but I, th I think, you know, Spence was 90 or 100. And I said, you know, what's going to happen next? And Duke Anderson, you know Duke, pretty straight-laced guy, he says, the guy right over there. And I said, well, who's that? You know, that's Brian Peters, one of the smartest guys you're ever going to meet. And for Duke Anderson, who was recruited by the CIA to, you know, work for the federal government, uh, Duke's a pretty smart guy himself and very strategic. And for him to give you that compliment, and, and I've had the chance over the years to watch that play out. Brian, I want to commend you. Uh, your leadership during COVID, you know, was second to none among any association in the country that was working daily updates. You know, who mm -hmm. in the world gives daily updates? Right. Uh, and you started with that. And then, then you moved to, you know, twice a week. And sometimes if it was a special update, it would be three times a week. And no, and we've interviewed many CEOs across America. Uh, no other hospital associations were doing that. You, you were leading the pack. And I want to commend you for that because your why definitely would shine through uh, reading through those because we were trying to figure this all out. Right. We were confused. I remember waiting for those every day. Like, do okay, you remember that? Yes. There, I do there too. were questions yes. I had. And I was like, as soon as I get Brian's email, I know that I'll have answers. Absolutely. And we did. And we were able to take that to the people. So I want to commend you. You know, uh, I'm glad that you were able to take over the helm uh, at a very pivotal time in, in our country and in our state. And so thank you for that leadership. We appreciate it. Well, you're too kind. I appreciate it's that uh, recognition. The reality is we have an amazing team at the MHA. Lindsay and, and all of our colleagues uh, back at the office are just some of the most uh, passionate people you'll ever meet. And, and we're proud of what we do. Yeah. But thank Mark you. of a true leader. Mm -hmm. He's going to give us staff. But you get the credit for that. Linz, uh, how about you? You know, what is your why? What gets you up out of bed in the morning? Well, I will echo those comments. You know, I was on the incident command team at Eaton Rapids, and I was so impressed with the MHA as well. We were waiting for those daily emails. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was like drinking from a fire hose. Oh, I know. But the MHA said, this is what has changed in the last 24 hours. This mm -hmm. is what you need to know. These are the resources available to you. And that was tremendous. Yes. So the opportunity to make a statewide positive impact on health was mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. So I am so excited to do that. And I love convening people to solve problems mm -hmm. and also, you know, address disparities and really positively impact health of Michiganders. Yeah. And, and your passion shows through as well. And we appreciate the support you've given Hillsdale uh, and some of our friends that are in small rural hospitals. It's great to know that we have some support. Absolutely. And, you know, it's we're in the business of people taking care of people. That's right. And I think about the 300 employees at Eaton Rapids. Yeah. I think about the 600 employees right. here. You right. know, as you toured us through the facility yeah. today, you addressed everyone by name. And and that's so important. So yeah. Great shows, people. Yes. Well, thanks for your support, both of you. And, you know, so we're going to have some fun. Uh, we're going to get in some very, you know, interesting aspects of your jobs. And uh, it's a tough job. 
because we're going to hear about the the multi-directions that you have to go as an association representing so many people, vast number of organizations, both big and small. So, you know, I'm going to ask today, um, you obviously both, you've shared your story, you've been working passionately, whether it's in local health or for nearly 30 years or more in, in, uh, in at the MHA, you know, and obviously you're very familiar with advocacy uh, and especially as your organization, the MHA advocates for rural hospitals, specifically community hospitals is what I want to talk about today, rural hospitals, because it's a passion of mine, uh, such as Hillsdale Hospitals. And, and that advocacy allows us to be efficient as hospitals. Uh, representing, you know, legislation and the other things that you do, and to be successful ultimately, advocating for, you know, the LVA, what's going to happen with the low volume adjustment, what's going to happen in some of those other areas that are important to us, such as OB stabilization. And those things mean the world to Hillsdale. Now, big systems, they may, you know, some of them may not know what OB stabilization is, but for us, it's very important. So I, I would just ask that you each name a few of the most meaningful uh, and value-added services that the MHA provides uh, to represent and assist. And we're going to talk specifically about rural hospitals for this one, okay? So we'll start with Brian. Maybe you could give us an idea of just what the wheelhouse for rural as, as the MHA pertains. Absolutely. And I can tell you that rural hospitals and rural health care generally uh, continue to be a top priority for the Michigan Health and Hospital Association for a number of reasons. And one of the, uh, the baseline uh, opportunities I had when I first came to MHA was to staff our small and rural hospital council. And that's where mm-hmm. I yes. really had my first exposure to the issues that were at that time keeping our rural hospital leaders up at night. Yeah. And the reality is many of those same issues persist to this day, right. uh, 30 years later. Uh, and there are some new issues as well. But when you look at um, the current environment and some of the things that are Uh, priorities for the MHA. Certainly in the advocacy space, we're involved at both the state and federal level. And so at the state level, you mentioned the OB stabilization Mm -hmm. fund Mm -hmm. and the uh, rural hospital stabilization fund as well, that rural access pool as we call it. Those are two critical uh, pools that we advocated for and created a number of years ago. And year in and year out, uh, we successfully advocate for their inclusion in the state budget. Yes. And in fact, the, the new state budget, which formally begins this October 1, yep. those pools are both fully funded yes, yet are. again. Yes, Thank you very much. We, we know that many rural hospitals would not be able to keep the doors open in terms of their OB programs mm-hmm. without that sort of support, just to use an example. But you also look at workforce, which is a top uh, challenge right now, particularly for our rural providers. And we were just able to deliver $300 million in direct workforce support to our members and, and other healthcare providers here in the state of Michigan. But also, in addition to the dollars and cents, there's the issue of public policy and Mm -hmm. scope of practice. And Mm -hmm. we know for many, many years, our rural hospitals have argued strenuously that we need to provide the ability for our certified registered nurse anesthetists, our CRNAs, to practice without direct supervision, as at that time, 42 other states were already allowing. And Mm -hmm. after many years of engagement in the political process, we were finally able to get that uh, bill to the finish line. Governor Whitmer signed that. Uh, statement into yes. law yes. Uh, earlier this year. Huge and we're victory. Very pleased. Huge victory. It, it really was. And I, I think it's um, probably, in my mind, the first of what will over time be many opportunities mm-hmm. where we look at 
scope of practice issues and we mm-hmm. ensure the ability of practitioners to practice at the top of their license. Mm-hmm. We think that's the right yeah. thing to do. But those are some uh, recent examples. You know, you look at our provider tax program, uh, which is, in my mind, the best in the nation. It right. has helped to support our rural hospitals. You look at our Certificate of Need yes. uh, program here in Michigan, which is one of the very strongest of its kind anywhere mm-hmm. in America, uh, which has protected our rural uh, hospitals yes, as well. We engage every single year, uh, both in the courts and also in the legislative Machine. arena, when you talk about medical liability and protecting our medical liability reforms here in the Correct. state of Michigan, without those in place, uh, it would be incredibly difficult for many rural hospitals to recruit and retain physicians in particular specialties right. if their malpractice insurance rates were were much, much higher than mm-hmm. they are today. Mm-hmm. And so we work very hard to protect those uh, public policies as well. Long-winded answer, JJ, to your no. great question, but we're You're proud of the work we do. You're in good company with long-winded answers. answers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we should just close in prayer after that one because, you know, Brian, it it speaks volumes to, and you just touched on a very few things mm-hmm. that your organization and specifically you do, and it's it has to be tough to balance. You know, you probably heard from some anesthesiologists that maybe weren't too happy uh, that you were advocating for this model. I would assume that. But you have to balance that, right? And you have to balance the big systems who may not even use a system like ours. And for those listening, uh, you may not be familiar with the model, but here at Hillsdale, we utilize CRNAs instead of anesthesiologists, uh, at the time supervised by general surgeons, but they would administer, you know, they would would be in charge of all of our um, surgeries, and they would be in charge of making sure that the hospital was following all of the program guidelines um, and that we were administering great quality care to our patients, we were not using anesthesiologists for that. And you had to probably battle that, didn't you? Well, we did. And this is exactly why it took so long uh, Mm -hmm. to get that legislation to the finish line. Uh, It was certainly uh, a point of contention uh, in the Capitol building over the years, no question about it. I will say that when you speak about the physician uh, groups. We now have the Michigan Osteopathic Association co-located in, in our building right. uh, yeah. in Okemos. It's a partnership that's working very, yeah. very well. And, you know, there are scope of practice issues where we may not see eye to eye, but the reality is 99% of the healthcare policy issues, we're on the same team. You are. You whether are. it's mm-hmm. Medicaid funding, yeah. whether it's these True. Uh, very uh, daunting challenges that, yeah. we, that we deal with, uh, you know, with, with respect to the pandemic or or you name it. Yeah. So we have much more in common than we do I agree. Uh, in terms of our differences. The other thing I would mention at the federal level, high priority for many of our rural hospitals is the 340B drug That's pricing true. program, yes. which Huge. is constantly Huge. under attack. Always mm-hmm. is. Not only at the federal level, but even in this last year at the state, state level. level as well. Mm-hmm. And right. We're proud of the fact we were able to uh, pass legislation that protects our rural members yes, in that space as well. But that uh, that's a battle that's ongoing, no question. So, so, Rachel, obviously you've just heard Hillsdale Hospital's operations would have been negatively impacted uh, without the advocacy of MHA when right. you think about OB stabilization, those uh, dollars back to the hospital, mm-hmm. as well as could you imagine if I did not have CRNAs? 
oh, for it, I mean, our procedures? It, well, and when your OR sustains your hospital in many ways without CRNAs, you don't so really have an hospital. OR. So goes So the it truly is, you know, foundational to our ability to operate Absolutely. and take care of our patients in our community. Yeah, it's incredible. Linz, all right, so we're back to you now with that question. So what types of things are the MHA doing that are most meaningful, value-added, maybe in your wheelhouse, you know, if you could give us an example? Absolutely. So in addition to the advocacy and policy battles that we fight on behalf of our hospitals, we also have an outstanding quality and safety division called the Keystone Center. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you two wear a lot of hats and it's hard to keep up with the latest and the greatest, you know, best practices. So our team makes sure that you're aware of you know, the, the latest and greatest uh, checklist to make sure that we are providing the best quality care. Uh, they have a lot of webinars and educational opportunities, um, and they're tackling a lot of issues um, like maternal child health, mm-hmm. um, age-friendly health systems. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that you're aware of everything like that. Absolutely. Great. So, Brian, let's talk about just this past year in particular what has MHA worked on or maybe accomplished or brought to the finish line over the past year to help rural communities and rural hospitals in particular? You know, we talked about a few of those uh, public policy challenges. I'm mm-hmm. particularly proud of the fact that we were able to deliver those victories for our membership in the midst of, <laughs> number one, a pandemic that is still not over. Right. Right? As much as we all want to put a check in that box and look in the rearview right. mirror, it is far from over. It's true. But number two... We were able to achieve those victories in an environment that is perhaps more divisive politically Mm -hmm. than it has ever been. And that's true at the state level and it's true at the federal level. And so anytime you uh, can pass something offensively, that means you needed bipartisan support. You needed both sides to come together. Now, we can kill bills. That's called playing defense with only one party Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, because – you know, it's the old uh, calculus in Lansing that you need 18, 56, and 1. You know, 18 yeah. votes in the Senate, 56 yeah. in the House, and one governor's one signature, Senate. right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. absent any one of those three, you can you can play defense effectively. But I think when you, you're playing offense and moving something to the finish line, you have to engage bipartisan support, which we've done. And one of the things in addition uh, to the uh, the issues that we've discussed is – The work that we've done with the community colleges and the four-year universities to effectively create a pathway for the future for our two-year community colleges to provide education for nursing. And that was a controversial proposal Mm -hmm. initially, Mm -hmm. but now we actually have real funding, $56 million from the state legislature and the governor to really jumpstart that process with Mm -hmm. the support of the four-year universities as well. And that's not going to solve the problem in the near term for rural hospitals. It's going to make a big difference, we believe, in the longer term. We have a pipeline issue. And in rural America, in rural Michigan and in Hillsdale, no different, we have an aging population. It's older than the non-rural components Mm -hmm. of our our country. And because of that, number one, added pressure on the healthcare delivery system, as you know, but also many of those older folks are nearing retirement. They are working in our rural mm-hmm. hospitals, mm-hmm. as you well know. Absolutely. And so that pipeline challenge that we talk about globally for Michigan hospitals, it is even more pertinent, I believe, to our rural membership. Agreed. And that's why efforts like that one, mm-hmm. I think, are so important. 
that mm-hmm. those those pipeline issues agree for the future. Well, the fact that you have been able to do this in such I'm going to say explosive environment politically. Right. I mean, I've I have never and and I'm a young guy. I'm 48. I've never seen it to this degree before. But to pull it off it speaks volumes to you. And and I want to give you props again because you know, I don't know if you're a Democrat or Republican, and that's a good thing. Well, because right. because honestly, at the end of the day, you know, you're given compliments on both sides uh, and you're working with both sides. You have to. And if we could ever learn a lesson in politics and in local government, we could look to a guy by the name of Brian Peters for how to pull something like that off and to be successful. And I say that with all honesty, because that's really got to that, that has to be the role of MHA. Right. I mean, you can't get too vested in a political party because we, you never know when the winds are going to shift. And so um, that that's probably for 30 years been a tough thing to do, Brian. Well, I, I tell you, from a personal perspective, uh, I've always been uh, what I would uh, would uh, characterize as an independent yeah. or, uh, or nonpartisan yeah. uh, in my, uh, my personal yeah. thinking. And, yeah. and over the years, I, I'm proud to say I've had many close friendships with both Republican yes, and Democrat yeah. lawmakers, yeah, including yeah. Uh, to this day. Correct. And I think there are very solid ideas emanating from both parties. We just need to have an environment that facilitates them getting together and doing the right thing for communities more often than than we currently see. Agreed. From the perspective of the MHA, you're exactly right. We've always had a mindset that we don't want to be one of those organizations that thrives when it is all Democrat control or vice versa, right. but then you know has a, a real challenge if the political winds change. We want to be one of those organizations that um, the Republicans and Democrats mm-hmm. in Lansing and in Washington understand at all times they can count on us to deliver uh, honest, truthful, unbiased information. Right. And that we're going to stand behind the work that we do every single day. And I think that's a reputation we've earned over time. And um, you look at our support through our political action committee. By the way, it's one of the very largest independent PACs in the entire state of Michigan. Congratulations, by the way. That's incredible. Well, we've grown it over over time because we know it's important to support health care champions. And nowhere in our bylaws or in any of our our, uh, conversations do we say to support Republican health care champions or Democrat health care champions. It's to support health care champions, whichever side of the aisle they they might hail from. And so Mm -hmm. that's the main mentality that we bring to That's the excellent. table. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Well, and on that note, you know, there is, and JJ kind of hinted at this before, but the advocacy needs or interests of rural hospitals may look different than those of major metropolitan health systems. They may not always be aligned. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance that as an association when, you know, within your membership, you might have some different needs or different concerns that affect some of that advocacy work that you're doing. Absolutely. And I'll share a couple of thoughts. And then I'd, I'd love to hear uh, from Lindsay as well, because she certainly has a great perspective coming from a, a rural hospital herself. But, you know, a couple of things here. Number one, one noticeable difference between the advocacy uh, operations for our large um, integrated systems versus our smaller rural hospitals would be the fact that some of those large systems, most of them, in fact, now have a full-time lobbyist that actually lives and works right in Lansing, mm-hmm. where 
the majority of our small rural independent members do not. And mm -hmm. therefore, I think there's even more rationale to have a strong working relationship with the MHA. We are your adjunct oh, advocates mm -hmm. yeah. in, in the Capitol building. No question about that. Mm -hmm. The other difference is when you look at those large integrated systems, they have a footprint that often covers multiple House and Senate districts with very different politics. You may have one, one of those hospitals in a system where the politics are, are very red and another one yeah, elsewhere true. in the system that's very blue. Yeah. So that's a, a very unique uh, circumstance as well. And then when you, you shift focus to the MHA, of course, we have the, you know, the whole state and, mm -hmm. and have to care about everything. So the second half of the answer is this. And, and JJ, we're delighted is coming on to the MHA Board of Trustees and, and we're I'm thrilled excited. to have you. Well, you're going to be a, a tremendous uh, voice around that table. And I think you'll see very quickly that what we attempt to do over time is make sure that we cover the urgent needs of every sector of our membership. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. for example, we may expend an awful lot of time and energy around the 340B program, mm -hmm. understanding we have a fair number of our members who don't benefit from right. 340B. They will support that cause because they understand that the next day or the next week, the MHA is going to yeah. be in their corner on an issue right. that those 340B hospitals may not Correct. care about. Yeah. Right. We see it all the time. Yes. And so the, the culture that has established around the MHA board table is it's all for one, it's one, one for, for all. all. And the, the, the real um, critical understanding here is that, and we've seen this in Michigan, the Speaker of the House, the Senate Majority Leader, the Appropriations Chair, might be from a small rural community where the best relationship is with that rural hospital CEO. Mm -hmm. And I think our big system CEOs who are politically engaged mm -hmm. and savvy understand that yeah. and understand that, you know what, we can't just care about what's best for our system. We have to care about what's best for the entire field. Right. And we can bring that to fruition yeah. through the MHA. Great perspective. Lynn's. I would think? add to that. So to demonstrate, you know, how the MHA really cares about our small and rural hospitals. Uh, during the past year, we hired Lauren Lapine. She's our director of yeah. small and rural hospital programs and policy. She would be a wonderful interview for you. Yeah, she she couldn't make to it today. Right yes. Before. Yeah. Yep. She's wonderful. So she is uh, downtown at our Lansing office okay. right by the Capitol. Nice. And she's really tied into advocacy work and making sure your voices are heard. And our rural hospitals face a lot of unique challenges. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that there are counties in the UP that don't have 24-7 police presence. Oh, yeah. So if there's a combative patient in the emergency room after it. hours, oh, absolutely. That, that's it, yeah. you know, until the mm -hmm. state police can, can yeah. arrive. So you are facing some very unique challenges, and we want to make sure that absolutely. we're helping you address those needs. And you are. Thank you so much. So, Brian, you mentioned some of the major things that MHA has advocated for over the years, like Medicaid expansion, the scope of practice for CRNAs, uh, disproportionate share hospital funding, and other things like that. What would you say in your you know, long career with MHA that you're most proud of personally that MHA has done to help hospitals in Michigan? Well, there are really a couple that stand out, and it, it is a long list, and we're, we're very mm -hmm. proud of uh, all of that work. But one is on the advocacy side, the other on the operational side. On the advocacy side, I think the uh, the work we did to 
bring Medicaid expansion mm-hmm. uh, to the finish line, uh, in retrospect, was incredibly impactful. We now have record high uh, numbers uh, in the uh, the Healthy Michigan Plan, which is our mm-hmm, Medicaid expansion mm-hmm. program. What you saw earlier in the pandemic when many people lost their jobs uh, in all of that turbulence that was occurring in the economy, uh, they would have been completely uninsured right. if not for the existence yep. of the Healthy Michigan right. Plan and the mm-hmm. fact that they could gravitate into those roles. That's what's driven this record high enrollment yeah. over the last couple of years. And thank goodness that we have that there as a as a safety net. Right. And can, can I give a shout out to sure. one of our listeners? Absolutely, uh, Mike Shirky. Absolutely. Uh, he was instrumental and in, he, he represents our district. So uh, for those that are listening outside of Michigan, uh, the local representative for the Senate here representing Hillsdale County uh, just so happens to have a leadership role in the state and was instrumental for passing Medicaid expansion and, and mm-hmm. pushing that. So with the work of you uh, and MHA and the leadership across both aisles, we did something powerful for Hillsdale County, and I was an advocate for it, as mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it was important because many of our community members in Hillsdale were suffering. They did not have access to health care. Right. And uh, even in, you know, Hillsdale County, my community, hearing story after story of loved ones, people I went to church with who did not have access, what this did and open that up, Brian, I'm going to tell you, it saved lives. It did. Mm-hmm. Diagnostic testing, detection of cancer, treatment of those things saved lives thanks to the work that you and, like you said, having relationships back home with legislature uh, and representatives from the legislature has been critical. And I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think it's important, you know, because Mike does listen to this program is to say thanks for their leadership in stepping out and on a very, very, very skinny limb and right. and crossing over into areas where people weren't appreciative mm-hmm. uh, and taking the leadership. That's leadership, Rachel. Oh, yeah. Leadership is in the face of that, doing what is right, well, and what's not what's partisan. Is, right. And and you when you think about something like Medicaid expansion and then you look at that along party lines, you know, rural communities do tend to be more red. They are. As a rule, as a general rule. Um, but the vote for Medicaid expansion tends to be more of a blue choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality of that is your rural hospitals Survival. are serving a huge number of those patients who are ben- who benefit yes. from Medicaid expansion. Disproportionate share. <laughs> right. And then when that doesn't happen, the hospitals are left holding the bag yes, because are. those patients still need to be yeah. taken care of, especially when it comes to their emergency right. situations. Right. So it is. That is it that is. was that's not an easy thing to do. And the work you guys did to get that to make that happen Phenomenal. was critical for patients in it Michigan. Was. Didn't mean well, to cut you off, but No, you're you're exactly correct. And uh, Senate Majority Leader Shirky deserves uh, all kinds of credit. Yeah. Uh, I remember those days well and he uh, he did stand up did. and uh, and deliver on a very, very impactful uh, public policy change in in the face of a lot of pushback, you're you're absolutely yeah. correct, and yes, that that is in my mind a wonderful part of his legacy mm-hmm. as as an elected official, and and one I, I hope he's uh, very proud of. Because you're right, it has saved lives, no it question. Is. And you know, it wasn't just getting that uh, to the finish line initially, but you know, every year, even though that funding comes from the federal government for the most part mm-hmm. uh, to this point in time, that still requires an, an appropriation, an act right. by the legislature mm-hmm. every single every year. year. When you start to take that for granted, all you have to do is look at some other states 
who until very recently uh, did not take that federal funding, did not enact their Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. And the data now is crystal clear, particularly when you look at rural hospital closures. Mm -hmm. Rural hospital closures in states that did not expand Medicaid is significantly higher than states like Michigan that did. So, you know, on the public policy side, that really stands out. And then the other is one that Lindsay mentioned earlier, and that is the MHA Keystone Center. Mm -hmm. And the reason I mention this in the context of rural is because, you know, you think about the the time when we launched Keystone, and it's been nearly 20 years now, mm-hmm. and the reality was we had rural hospitals that all of a sudden had <laughs> access to the same sort of information and best practices mm-hmm. and clinical protocols mm-hmm. as these large integrated systems and academic medical centers, and they were in the same rooms comparing notes yes. on the same issues, learning from each other. And that learning, by the way, was, was two-way, not mm-hmm. one way. Mm-hmm. But the evidence is so clear now that the quality of care in rural hospitals has gone up and up and up over time on some very specific metrics. And just as you said, JJ, with the Healthy Michigan Plan Mm -hmm. Saving Lives, with Keystone and the efforts that Hillsdale Hospital and our our other rural hospitals have have embraced, you've absolutely reduced Mm -hmm. the number of wrong site surgeries, reduced bloodstream infection rates, reduced... Uh, patient falls, right. you've reduced medication errors. I mean, Correct. we can go right down those yes. lists. And uh, it's really impressive to see. And, and we just uh, are so proud of our members for doing Absolutely. that. Better outcomes for patients. And, you know, obviously, Lindsay, you have been in this environment now working with MHA. And could you talk to us a little bit about some of maybe currently the quality initiatives, you know, that uh, maybe the qual- how the quality of healthcare in your mind has benefited and been impacted in Michigan communities specifically uh, as a result of the work that MHA has done for rural hospitals. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because you're out and about, right? Right. Among these hospitals and you're hearing story after story, probably compelling ones, uh, transportation issues and access issues and all of these things. So maybe you could give us an example of a positive healthcare outcome as a result of MHA's work. Well, we partnered with Duke and the Keystone Center to offer WellBe, which was a well-being program. And we had, I don't know how many signed up for that, but it was an incredible 10-week program sure. where they are, you know, our staff members across the state were able to learn bite-sized wellness pieces because you can't take care of others if you're not taking care of yourself. Uh, the Keystone Center actually dropped the word patient from safety and quality because they want to focus on the caregivers as well. Oh. So, Great perspective. Yes. Great perspective. Yep. And that's that's really powerful, too. And what we're really focusing on now, a lot of our efforts halted in hospitals like the Age-Friendly Healthcare System mm-hmm. Initiative during the pandemic. Everybody was so laser focused on, on the pandemic. So it's getting back to that and getting back to those initiatives mm-hmm. right now. That's what they're working on. So, Lindsay, I've, you, you brought up something that's very important. Uh, you know, we've always been focused on patient safety, patient safety, patient safety. It's a great perspective, though. I think if one thing has been taught to me as a leader during COVID, it's how to take better care of our people, our most precious resource, right? Because if we don't take care of them, they can't take care of our patients. And, you know, we've been through Studer's program and we've been a Studer hospital and we've done all of the seminars and, you know, it's like a great Amway experience at times. But until you drive it home and COVID, you know, the one lesson we learned 
was we first have to take care of the caregivers. And MHA has done a great job at advocating for the, for the caregiver, I mean, through many initiatives. And so could you talk a little bit about that as you go about hospitals and what you're seeing in that relationship of caring for the caregivers? You've held some seminars, I believe. You've done some other things that were important. I think workplace violence is another huge example of this. We Agree. We want to make sure that it's safe to practice in our hospitals. So we've been advocating at the federal and state level uh, for um, stronger penalties for harming a healthcare worker. Uh, and among other things, we have sign, uh, signage we've released that um, include... I did see that. I did see that. It's it's abuse and uh, how they're treated. Yes, yes. I, I did see that. Yep, that yeah. we will not tolerate that. Did we yep. adopt that, Rachel? I think you um, did some work it, with We have it, but I don't think we've put it out yet. We haven't put it out yet, but we did adopt that. That was a lot of work that your hospital association did mm-hmm. to, to roll that out and very important. The, you know, the, as we look at this, it's not just the wholeness of the patient. Uh, it's it's the organization and the health of it. And what MHA has done has been powerful. And Brian, as our friends and colleagues across the nation listen to this podcast, um, I, I would like for you to explain the value added, regardless of their size, of bringing a statewide healthcare organization to their hospital. Because I, I have spoken with leaders around the country, uh, not all of them belong, you know, to an association. You know, ah, it's just throwing money up there. Uh, you know, I can speak and Rachel can speak firsthand of the value-added services that, Lindsay, you just explained about mm-hmm. caring for the caregiver. But the work that you do to generate millions of dollars uh, of revenue back to our hospitals through your advocacy work, what would you say to, to the listener? Maybe they're listening from a totally different state, which they do. And they're thinking, why is there value-added in an association? Well, it's a great question, JJ. I appreciate it. And the reality is uh, when we look across the country, there's only a handful of state hospital associations that represent the totality of the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michigan, uh, fortunately, as I mentioned, is one of those where we have 100% membership. And we pride ourselves on, on that because the strength of our association is in the ability to speak with one voice. Mm-hmm. And we do see in other states where uh, either one block of of members have dropped out of the association or the rural hospitals have stepped away and and perhaps done Mm -hmm. their own thing. Mm -hmm. Um, My view is that coming together uh, in a single entity like the Michigan Health and Hospital Association is a much more powerful mechanism to achieve your objectives in the public policy Mm -hmm. realm Uh, and also to move the needle on things like the Keystone Center, but also all of the other activities of the association Mm -hmm. through our MHA Service Corporation, which includes work in the data services arena. Uh, Very difficult these days to get anything done without access to good data. And we're in that space in a very significant way. We have an unemployment compensation program as well. And so regardless of what it is, We are a table around which you can convene and derive value. Mm -hmm. We really pride ourselves on the ROI. So you pay uh, X amount in dues. At the end of every program year, we hope to be able to demonstrate 
in a real dollars and cents way, here's what our advocacy efforts were able to deliver directly to your organization offensively Mm -hmm. in terms of the Medicaid budget and all those other pools we talked about, Mm -hmm. but also the things we protected you against playing defense, which would have taken resources off the table Mm -hmm. at minimum Mm -hmm. and uh, in the worst case scenario would have made your day-to-day life uh, pretty uncomfortable very. or untenable. Yeah. And uh, that's something that we're very mindful of, delivering that value in everything mm-hmm. we do. Sometimes the MHA is engaging in efforts that benefit the whole field or benefit a subset of the field. But quite frankly, not a day goes by, and Lindsay knows this, where we don't get a call, an outreach from one of our individual members to facilitate uh, the resolution to a very specific issue they're, they're having, having that, that may yeah. not impact anyone else You're in right. our membership. Right. Yeah. It's a one-on-one. It's true. And so we're like, I joke about it, we're like the the repair service yeah. uh, for our hospitals. When your dishwasher goes bad, you know, you call the, the repair service. We are uh, acting in that capacity every single day mm-hmm. for our members. That's the kind of thing that doesn't get reported mm-hmm. in our weekly newsletter or mm-hmm. member communications, but it's happening. Mm-hmm. And so that's the answer uh, in my mind to your yeah. question, JJ, delivering that value. Right. So, so Brian, you know, one of the things in... in Sadly, we're going to have to wrap up here, Rachel. We could probably talk for hours. But, uh, you know, one of the things that the MHA has done is you actually go out and seek funding to fund a lot of your operations. You're not so much member dependent. Is that correct? Very Can you explain correct. that relationship? About, I mean, because you, you get grants and you're looking for dollars as well and donors, correct? Absolutely. And there's a rationale for that. So when I started uh, at MHA all those years ago, we derived approximately... 85, 90% of our uh, total revenue from membership dues. Today, yeah, today that number is significantly less than 50%. Oh, wow. And over that period of time, well, we, we've done it intentionally yes. uh, to diversify our revenue stream so that we can really hold membership dues in check. And we have had only uh, the, the most modest oh. dues increase over that 30-year period, very, yeah. very minimal. And what's replaced that revenue or supplemented that revenue are are a couple of things. Number one, you mentioned uh, grants and contracts. We have a federal contract with the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality uh, that funds much of our keystone work on safety and quality. That is a multi-state collaborative that MHA leads. Uh, Also in that domain, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Michigan, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, as recently as last fall, just committed to a new round of $5 million Mm. in direct support Mm. for our Keystone Center. That is in addition to the multi-million dollars uh, of support they've provided over Keystone's history. And then our service corporations, we mentioned, uh, we have a number of fee-for-service programs, uh, including our endorsed business partner arrangement with about a dozen organizations that are working every day with our hospitals on a number of issues, that's created a, a win-win. It's it sure created has. opportunities for our members to help solve problems, mm-hmm. but it's created revenue for the MHA as well. So you're right. We've, we've been very intentional about growing that revenue diversification. Absolutely. And so, you know, the one thing that I appreciate the most beyond the weekly communication 
uh, is you you give some recommendations, and that's your business partnerships uh, that that you have. And I think for me, I don't do this every day and going out and finding new vendors. It's really great. Uh, to have you do the vetting process for us. And, and I want to thank you for that. And, you know, I, I recall that, and I serve on a lot of boards, as you know, Rachel, and state boards. And I was mm-hmm. telling my wife probably a year ago, uh, I said, you know, if I ever get a chance, I would love to be part of the Michigan Hospital Association just to, you know, I serve on a committee now, the rule, you know, but we meet a few times. But I really love the opportunity. And, Brian, when you called me, I, I was overwhelmed. Uh because the work that you do is, to me, it's almost a ministry, uh, and and you know this isn't tongue in cheek, but it's it's in this part of the community, it's God's work. Uh, you know, we're out here saving lives, literally, and the work that the MHA does to advocate for the things that you've advocated for, such as Medicaid expansion. I'm here to tell our listeners, and, and you may not know Michigan's story if you're listening uh, out of state, but had you not advocated for the expansion of Medicaid. I'm going to bet Hillsdale Hospital may have a different financial outlook than we have today. We may not have 200 days cash on hand. We may not have had a a net operating uh, margin uh, this past year. And I'm just going to tell you that to even think about being involved in that, Rachel, you're on a committees. I think you're on two committees this year for the MHA, Um, one or two? One. I'll be on the legislative policy panel. That's great. Great, great uh, opportunity for you as well. And we try to get our leaders involved in those as well. But I, I want to thank you for the work both of you do. Every day on behalf, I can say rural hospitals, but I'm sure my friends at big health systems would say the exact same thing. Uh, But we like it here especially because we don't have a lot of bench strength. And for me to be able to call one of you and say, where are we at with LVA? Can you advocate for us on that? Because that's an $800,000 loss to Hillsdale. Shared with my board Thursday that if we if that happens, we've got to make some major changes. Um, or the OB stabilization. Are we getting our fair share of the dish, uh, dish funding? So those are the things that you do each and every day for your hospitals. And I just want to thank you for truly looking at the best interest of healthcare our patients, and this community, and they don't know your faces, and they probably have never heard of your names, but the work that you do behind the scenes creates opportunities for Hillsdale Hospital to exist, and I want to thank you for joining us today, number one, uh, on Rural Health Rising, and for your advocacy work on behalf of our patients and our families and community. It means a world of difference. Well, thank you. And we'd like to thank you as well for being engaged. And we're so excited to have you uh, lead us over the next nine years. And I'd also like... Is it like, nine years? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah we'd Brian, also, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> we'd also like to thank you for your engagement with uh, the community as well. Through this podcast, you go live on Facebook, you keep people informed, and you build trust. And that it's not easy to put yourself out there. So we are so well, impressed thanks, with Lindsay. that. So thank you. And well, thank for you. serving on our committees and council. We just appreciate that so much. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, This has been uh, remarkable not only to uh, join you uh, on the podcast today, but thank you so much for the hospital tour as well. Uh, It was incredibly impressive to see your beautiful facility, to meet uh, some of your remarkable people. And it's crystal clear to me, JJ, you're a phenomenal leader and CEO. We're delighted to have you joining the MHA board. Yeah, and I hope the community understands how much of a gem 
this hospital is. It is a gym, isn't it? It is beautiful. And you are growing and adding services. And this is a wonderful, wonderful hospital. thank you for your participation here on the program and for the tour. Uh, It's great to have folks. My phone has already probably had 30 texts. Who are those people? Are they from the big (laughs) systems? Are they by, are we selling? No, no, we're not. No, 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 no. They're just some suits and friends of ours, but uh, we appreciate it. So thanks for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. Thank you. Before we close, we'd like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? And Brian, I'm going to start with you. Well, thank you, JJ. And, you know, I've always had a very uh, soft spot in my heart for rural Michigan. And uh, that's directly because uh, before my MHA career, I actually ran a sport fishing charter service in a very small rural community, Charlevoix, Michigan. Oh, yeah. uh, Northern Lower Peninsula, just north of Traverse City. And I, I did that uh, for five years as a captain and uh, three, no three years before that as a first mate on a different charter wow. boat. And uh, I, I'll never forget my very first uh, charter outing on my boat as a captain. Uh, what I did to uh, generate enthusiasm in that community, and you know in, in a rural uh, community everyone knows everyone and, and you have to establish a reputation. And I, I offered to uh, to take out a few uh, local uh, friends and and uh, and folks in town uh, for free, in the hopes that they would have a good experience and help to spread the word. And uh, fortunately, uh, that went very well. Uh, but uh, the the There's interesting uh, the interesting takeaway was uh, uh, I started getting all kinds of calls asking about free fishing free, free trips, tours. and oh, no. that, that persisted right through the end of my uh, charter yeah. fishing yeah. career. You're like, which well, was, uh, we can't give it away free, but they all want it for free. So that's an interest. I, I did not know that was your background. Absolutely. So uh, a good friend of ours, we're gonna we're gonna have to go fly fishing. You're gonna have to teach me the the tricks of that trade. Would love it. Well, thanks, Brian. Now, Lindsay. So you came from rural, and you still are in rural, right? Kind of. Absolutely. You're yep. In a rural I, community, I still, right? Yep, do you have I a stoplight in your community? We do have a. couple. You do have yeah, okay. Yeah, right. yeah, we have to, yeah, we have a couple. In my so. hometown, we don't even have that. Yes. So, so can you explain to us maybe one of your rural um, experiences? I think it was just so charming to promote the services of a small community hospital because you're you're caring for neighbors. You know, they're not treated as numbers. And uh, one time I uh, contacted a patient who was so happy after an orthopedic surgery, and he wanted to do a testimonial. And he invited me out to his farm, and... I ended up spending the entire day there, and he, he and his wife, you know, they fed us. They oh, took us awesome. on a tour of the that's farm, awesome. and it wow. was so charming. But I'll never forget that. And and he was so grateful for being able to get back to. Um, they had a maple syrup farm. He was so grateful to be able to carry his buckets again. And so for me, that's the charming part uh, in serving these folks who would otherwise have to drive a long way away. Well, they didn't make you bail hay. No. And they didn't have you milk any cows. No. So I guess you came out of it okay. Yeah, right? I, I walked away with maple syrup, but I grew up but working you have on farms, so yeah. I, I'm used to that. But that, that was really neat. And that's who we serve. That's a remarkable Absolutely. story. And there's countless times that I've been called to drive a patient home. And that's really, for me, where when I'm having a bad day and they call me to transport a patient, which they do, uh, I really enjoy that because it gets back to what we're actually doing here. It's not fighting for this and that. It's it's serving our patients. So once again, thanks for joining us today on Rural Health Rising. 
next time on Rural Health Rising. We'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. Special thanks to today's guests, Lindsay Peters, Senior Director, and Brian Peters, Chief Executive Officer of the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.